Unfortunately for their fans, in 1980, the band broke up. And one of the singers, Don Henley, was asked at that time, will there ever come a time where the band gets back together and plays music again? And uh, Henley's response was, when hell freezes over. And uh, in October, or, or March 3rd, I'm sorry, March 3rd, 1995, I got to witness firsthand hell freezing over as the Eagles played a concert at Rupp Arena. And uh, it must have thawed out and then uh, had to get refrozen because they played again there uh, this, uh, this spring. So uh, it just goes to show you sometimes even the most fractured of relationships can be restored. And there's no relationship that's been as fractured as much as our relationship with God. Sinners before a holy God. In our series through the end of Genesis here, Hurts, Hindrances, and Hope, we have now come to the reunion of Jacob and his long-lost son, Joseph. And in the text before us today, I pray we will see that you must follow the only path to restoration with God, and that is by entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ. The only path to restoration with God is through Jesus Christ, his son. Let me ask you to stand with me now in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 46, I'll be starting at verse 1. And these words were written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning in reverence of who you are. We come today, Lord, in humility, acknowledging who we are as sinners. But Lord, we also come today joyfully because Christ has made the way for our relationship with you to be restored. Through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through our faith in him, we have peace with you. And Father, we come today expectantly because we know that you are a God who is powerful, the God who is all-powerful. Your word is powerful. It's the power for salvation to those who believe. That's our prayer today, God. Help us who are Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. Help our faith be built up, our relationship with you to be strengthened. For those today who may not be believers, we pray, God, today would be the day of salvation as your power and the light of the gospel floods into the darkest of hearts. Lord, your will be done in accordance to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In our sermon series through these last chapters, we have seen that Joseph had been betrayed and sold by his ten older brothers into slavery and over a long period of time and by the providence of God, Joseph has now been elevated to second in command over all of Egypt. 
And after 20 years of separation from his brothers and from his father, and through a series of tests, Joseph has found that his brothers' hearts have been changed by God. They have repented of their sin before God, and now has come the time for the family to be reunited. And Joseph, in his position, has the ability to bring the family together in Egypt and, and care for them and provide for them lest they would perish. And in that, we have seen that Joseph is a, a type or an example of, of the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Today's reunion uh, reminds us of sinners and our reunion with a holy God. And the first thing we see is a divine assurance of this reunion divine assurance and there is an uncertainty about following God's leading am, am I doing the right thing am I, am I going the right way and there are times our soul is tempted to fear and, and to despair that somehow we are not on the right path to reunion with God and God blesses us with several forms of assurance we see some of those before us today first of all there's a spiritual continuation a continuation continuing in the path that God has set before us as Christians, but also the path that His faithful saints who have gone before us, that same path that they themselves have trod. And we see, first of all, in verse 1, Israel set out a reminder that God had changed His name as God had entered into a covenant with Jacob. He had given Him the name Israel, one who, who wrestles with God or strives with God. And Israel set out with all he had and he came to Beersheba. This is a special place to Jacob, a special place to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. As we read through the book of Genesis, we see this is a place where the patriarchs have come face to face and have come into a, a closer relationship with God. We see that first of all of Abraham in chapter 21, verse 33. We read that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba and there he called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. This is Jacob's grandfather. Now his father Isaac, chapter 26, verses 23 and following. It says, Then Isaac went up from there to Beersheba, the same place. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And then Isaac settled there in Beersheba and he had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we read about Jacob leaving his family and leaving that sacred place of Beersheba in chapter 28 in verse 10. We see Jacob departed from Beersheba he went towards Haran. And then we read the story about the, uh, Jacob's ladder in a dream that, that God shows a ladder, angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jacob comes to the conclusion that God is in this place. But then we read the Lord is speaking to him. Verse 13 of chapter 28. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. 
Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east, to the west, and north, and the south. And in you and in your descendants, in your seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. These covenant promises God is recapitulating over and over again to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And then God says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is a special place. And here is Jacob continuing on this same spiritual pathway. This, this heritage, this, this wonderful, divine, godly heritage is a, is a strong help to him, as it is to us. So we think about those who have gone before us and the path that God has started us on. Spiritual continuation is a form of assurance, but also there is a sacrificial conviction. In verse 1, we are told that that he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And so much of this text reminds us of God's dealings with Abraham and with Isaac before him and Jacob already and God is still there. And we see that Jacob has a faith that responds in worship. That because of God's covenant with him and God's commitment to him, his response to God and his grace is to worship. His response is to sacrifice. As he thinks about God's love for him and his devotion to God. For us as Christians, we are told by Paul in Romans 12, 1, that, that we are living sacrifices that your life is one that communicates dying to self daily and living for Christ the sacrificial conviction that we have to give our lives to Jesus assures us that we are on the right pathway but also we see scriptural confirmation confirmation as one of God's divine assurances and in verse 2 we read that God spoke to Israel and and we're tempted just to kind of pass over that and move on but think about that God spoke we have a God who speaks we read that in the very first chapter of Genesis God said let there be light we have a God who communicates and God uh, a God who makes his intentions known and a God whose word has power the power to create everything out of nothing the power to create light out of darkness the power to to give life out of death and God spoke God spoke to him in visions of the night he said Jacob Jacob the dual use of his name reminds us back of God speaking to Abraham as he was about to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham Abraham and the response is here I am God calls out to Jacob and Jacob says here I am then God says to him in verse 3 I am God the God of your father do not be afraid to go down to Egypt we said why would he be afraid to go to Egypt well you know it's a long journey he's an older man and dangers could befall uh, upon the way and it's a strange culture a strange place and and to go somewhere you've never been before, you know, it could be a scary thing. There's a lot of reasons to fear. But remember this. God had told Abraham, God had told Isaac, this, Canaan, is the promised land. And Jacob had left that land for, at one point in time for, for an extended period of time, and God had brought him back. 
And now he's thinking, God, you want me to leave the promised land again? Is this right? Am I, am I wrong in this? God, I need to know I'm doing the right thing because this makes no sense to me. And God says, this is my will for you. But don't be afraid because it is my will. God gives him a promise. Three promises, actually. The end of verse 3, God says, I will make you a great nation. The emphasis there is on God himself. I will make you a great nation. I will. In verse 4, I will go down with you. So there's the promise of a progeny, a great nation, descendants. There's a promise of God's presence. And then he says, I will also surely bring you back up. The promise of property. God says, I am in this, Jacob. I am God and I am doing this. I am confirming to you, you are in my will. Be assured. Be assured. And we say, wow, you know, I would love for God to speak to me. You know, we read this, this visions of the night, these dreams, this theophany, the appearance of God, and say, man, if God would just speak to me like He spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, man, I would never be afraid. If God would only speak, you know what? God has spoken. It's laying right there in, in your lap. The Bible in fact, this is a more sure, a more certain word. You know, God can still communicate through dreams and visions. He can. We've talked about that when we looked at Joseph and his dreams. But dreams can always be trusted. You don't know if it's God speaking to you or, or last night's lasagna. You don't know what's going on in your mind. Is it really God speaking? But we don't have to doubt. When we come to this book and we open it and we read these pages, God is speaking to you. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And in His Word... And through our worship, God gives us assurance. I, speak, uh, I spoke earlier about people traveling, and some of you all have traveled by air lately. And you know the air travel today is not always the most convenient thing because of the TSA and all their guidelines. And if they ever hear this message, they'll probably uh, make sure I get an extra pat down next time I go through the line. But, you know, you've got to take your shoes off, and, and your liquid has to be in these small containers. And, and in some ways, it seems like a hassle, but we know it's for our safety. But it's not always the most convenient thing. But one thing that has become more convenient is the boarding pass. No longer do you have to have this piece of paper with you. You can bring your phone with you, and you can have your phone there, and they can scan that. It's a little more convenient. That boarding pass assures you you got a spot. I got a seat on the plane. I can arrive at my destination because this boarding pass is my assurance. You know that God gives his people assurance. He gives us a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. God has given us a pledge, a guarantee, a boarding pass in Christ. And through His Word and through our worship, we are reassured. God is with us. The reunion is coming. But secondly, in our text here, we see a divine assistance until this reunion. As Jacob's journey was going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, so too is our journey, this journey of faith in life. And, but the good thing for Jacob is he was not alone. Not only was God with him, but God also provided help for him. Same is true for you and I, this journey of faith. We are not alone. God is with us. So too is God's assistance in many ways. How do we know this? Well, first of all, problems matter to God. 
problems matter to God. We read in verses 5 through 7, Jacob and all of his family, they, they packed up and they were headed to Egypt, kind of like uh, the Clampets, I imagine. They're loading all their stuff and they're moving to Beverly Hills, that is. You know, they're headed south, they're headed to Egypt. Why are they going to Egypt? Because there was famine. There was famine in the land. And we've already seen there was two years of it and there's five more years coming. And I imagine for two years, God's people had been praying to God for relief. Lord, would you please send rain? God, would you please grow our crops? God, would you provide for our needs? And I imagine they were feeling like they were desperate. After two years, God wasn't doing anything yet. And suddenly those Egyptian wagons rolled up. You know, not not domestic. These are foreign. You know, these are top of the line. These are high class. Jacob sees these and hears his son Joseph is alive and Jacob's heart, we are told, is revived and we see that God answered his prayers in a very dramatic way. And all of this was according to God's sovereign plan. Even the famine. All of the hurts, all of the hindrances, all of this was according to God's sovereign plan. And it's awesome for us to realize that problems, our problems, your problems, they matter to God. And God is there to assist you because not only our problems matter, but also people matter to God. In verses 8 through 25, we see a long list of some very strange names. And we're tempted to just kind of look at this and think, you know, is this pointless? Do we really need to have all these names? Is this pointless? Are these, need, are these names pointless? And the answer is, not to God. Every single one of these names, every single one of these individuals, they mattered to God. And the fact that they are all listed here, the twelve sons of Israel and all of their children and all their grandchildren, the fact that they are all here by name, it means that God knew every single one of them and that no one got left behind. No one missed the wagon. They were all there. Why? Because they mattered to God. God was concerned for their protection. God was concerned for their lives. No one was lost in the shuffle. Isn't it good to know as a child of God you matter to God? Isn't it good to know that the Lord knows you personally? How do we know that? John chapter 10, starting at verse 27, listen to the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You matter to God. God cares for you. We sang about that earlier. No need to fear. We're standing on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ and He cares for you. And we read these names and we are reminded of some of these people and some of the moral failures that they were guilty of. These were not perfect angels, okay? We have read about their lives and their falling and their mistakes and their sins and some of it's just ugly. But God cared for them and graciously preserved them and saved them from destruction. 
same is true for us. God cares you cares for you. How do we know that? God demonstrates his love for us in this, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. People matter to God. Promises matter to God. Verses 26 and 27, we read about these 70 individuals belonging to Jacob and how they made their descent down into Egypt. And we're told all the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. 70 persons. And we think, well, that's kind of a big family, but in relation to all of the nations around them, this, this nation that was Israel was very small at that time. See, God had promised to make Abraham fruitful and Isaac and Jacob. And lo and behold, by God's providence, by God's grace, we, we read about in, in the book of Exodus, this, this nation multiplied, this family grew to finally, it was, it was a large force, it was a significant force, so much so that Egypt began to fear the Hebrews and what they might do. But these promises that God made were going to take place God saved them to make Israel a mighty nation according to his covenant promise. And, and one of the things we've seen in this text, that Jacob did not go alone. Jacob went with his family around him. As imperfect as that family was, they were still there to provide godly, divine assistance to him on this journey. I asked Jeremy to put this photo into our slideshow today. It's an image of a baseball player around in third base headed to home. When I first saw this the other day on Facebook, the, the caption was something to the effect of, this is an image or a reminder of heaven. Rounding third, headed for home. Imagine all of the saints that have gone before you, loved ones, Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, they're all gathered there and they're ready to receive you and welcome you home. The journey is done. We read in, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, uh, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in this race. I said, wow, that's a, that's a beautiful reminder, an a, a image of what heaven, I imagine, might be like for me as I'm rounding third, headed for home, and seeing those there, and seeing the Lord there waiting for me. But you know, in reality, this is also a reminder for us of heaven on earth, a small slice of heaven on earth as the church is here, as God's family, His divine assistance to you. It's a wonderful photo, but the story behind it is even more amazing. See the young man rounding third, headed for home there, number 13. His name is David Bote. He's a 25-year-old rookie playing for the Chicago Cubs. And when he was drafted a few years ago, he was drafted in, in spot number 545. He was not expected to provide much in the realm of professional baseball. But through his hard work, his dedication, his perseverance, he overcame obstacles after obstacles and did not give up. And he continued striving and struggling and trying hard and eventually made his way up to the, the AAA league right underneath the majors. And this year he'd been called up I think five different times, called up. His injuries were there, and the Cubs brought him up and sent him back down and called him back up and sent him back down. And then last week, the Cubs were at home at Wrigley Field. They were playing the Washington Nationals. And the Cubs had been losing all game one to nothing. Come to the last inning, and the Nationals scored two more runs. It was three to nothing. 
coming into the bottom of the ninth inning. If the Cubs couldn't score at least three runs, the game was over. So it would so happen that the relief pitcher struggled and, and the bases became loaded. Three men on, but there were two outs. And all game long, David Bautie had stayed on the bench watching this take place. And then, with two outs on, bottom of the ninth, the pitcher was due up to bat. And if you know anything about baseball, it's not always a good thing. And so they inserted a, pitch, a pinch hitter. They brought David Bautie off the bench. He came up to bat, first pitch. He hit, fouled off, strike one. Next pitch was a ball. Third pitch, he watched a low ball come through. The umpire called it a strike. Next pitch was in the dirt, so the count was two and two. Two strikes against him. Bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, three runs on, uh, three runners on, down by three. Next pitch, he swings, makes solid contact. Ball goes soaring, keeps on soaring, eventually over the center field wall. Grand slam. Home run. Four runs. Cubs win. He takes off running. He flips his bat, first of all, way up in the air. Takes off running with his arms out to his side like he's, a, like he's an airplane or, or mounting up on wings like an eagle. And he's running the bases. And, and just knowing the story and how far he had come to get to this point in time and knowing that he, he strove and he overcame and persevered and he was rounding third base. And his teammates, aware of all that he had been through, they all ran out to home plate. All the coaches, they were all there because they were so excited for him because he persevered and he overcame and he won the game for them. Now I could imagine that our church family fits that same role for you and I as we struggle week to week, things come our way and... and we have to persevere in the faith and we don't want to quit. And, and by God's grace, we overcome. And I imagine we walk through these doors. And maybe we could do this next week. A group of us will just kind of huddle up right here and as people come in the door, we can act just like this, you know, and they can run in like this. You know, we might run a few people off if we did that. But if those of you who are here today, and you're, you, you'll know what we're doing, right? But when you walk in these doors and you're just worn out and you're weary, but by God's grace you have persevered and your family is here to celebrate with you and be excited for you. They're here to weep with you and to shout and joy over you. That's what it's all about, folks. It's one of God's most blessed forms of assistance to you and I as a Christian is the church family where we can come together and we can just celebrate together and those, and those walk-off grand slams, we are there to greet one another and embrace one another. The church family now is one of God's greatest forms of divine assistance until that reunion on the other side. Finally, we see divine acceptance at the reunion. You know, I could probably just say amen and finish because this has been good stuff so far, but there's more. Wait, just wait, there's more. Now, after being apart for a while, the time of reunion is coming. And you and I have been separated from God because of our sins, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that day is coming. Folks, that day is coming 
we will round third base and we will head for home and we will see our blessed Lord and Savior and we will fall into His arms. That day is coming. That reunion is on its way and we will find divine acceptance awaiting us not because of our goodness but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ because of His righteousness. How do we know we're on that path? Because of the direction of the Lord. In verse 28, we see this. Now Joseph, or, or Jacob sent Judah, his son before him, to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. You see, Judah had been there before. Jacob hadn't. He didn't know where he was going. Someone had to lead the way. Someone had to blaze the trail. And he actually leaned upon Judah, which is remarkable, because remember, Judah was the one who caused so much fraction in the first place, uh, friction in the first place. Judah was the one who had sold his brother. His idea was to sell his brother and to bring about this separation. Now, by God's providence, he's the one leading the way to reunion. But Judah here, as Joseph is a type of the greater Joseph, Judah is a type of the greater Judah, the descendant of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because as Judah was showing the way, his descendant, Jesus Christ, you know, folks, he doesn't just show us the way. He doesn't say, hey, here's the way you go. Go this way. Jesus is the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, you come to Jesus, you have come the way. No more pointing the way and just do this, just, just obey this, just become this. No, just come to Jesus. Just come to Him. He is the way. He is the direction. You want to find that reunion, you come to Jesus, that reunion is guaranteed. But you've got to come to Him. You've got to trust in Him. He is the way. Our direction of the Lord is the Lord. Then we see our dedication to the Lord symbolized in this reunion between Father and Son. This long-awaited reunion, it seems so impossible. And again, there's no reunion more impossible than a, a sinner coming to God in His holiness and being accepted. Read in verse 29, Joseph prepared his chariot. He harnessed it. He did it himself. He didn't wait for his servants to come do it for him. He made haste. Prepared his chariot and he went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And as soon as he appeared, as soon as he came into his presence before him, he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a long time. It's the loving embrace of one who had been separated from his father for so long had now finally come and has been fully accepted. Again, what a beautiful picture that is for us in Christ Jesus. Coming to our Father and not being turned away due to our sin, but being reconciled by the sacrifice of Christ we have now been brought into the family of God. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. That divine acceptance, that, that degree of, of satisfaction. Read these words. Verse 30, the Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face. 
you're still alive, when I say, well, wow, that sounds kind of a morbid thing to say, but in reality, you know what he's saying? I have now become fully satisfied. This matter of life and death has been settled. There's nothing else in this world that I want any more than this. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. This dedication to the Lord means our satisfaction is in Christ. There is nothing else I want more than my relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? Is that your testimony today? That He matters more than anything else and you dedicate yourself to Him wholly? Falling into His loving embrace. Being brought to the Father. This great reunion, it's enough. Nothing more I want. I can die now. Can you say that? You know what? If the Lord so chooses to to take me out of this world today, that's okay. The matter has been settled. I have peace with God. I can die now. Not that I want to, because there's things I want to see and things I want to do, but you know what? In the end, my relationship with Christ matters more than that. What a beautiful picture. Father and Son reunited in loving, lasting embrace. And the final thing we see here is that once we have been accepted by God, there is a distinction for the Lord. How should Israel live in Egypt until Israel is called back to the promised land? How should we, as the people of God, live here in this world knowing that one day we're going back or one day we are going to the Father, we are going to the promised land, which is heaven? This distinction. Joseph says to his brother's father's household, and, and this will, will play out more next week, but just gives us a, a little snapshot of what's to come. He says, I'll go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers, my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, they have now come to me. They've come to me to find salvation. And he says, When you do this, I'll say that the men are shepherds. They have been keepers of livestock. and They brought their flocks and their herds and all they have. So they need a place, Pharaoh. They need a spot where they can raise their animals and where they can spread out. They need this place. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what's your occupation? Say to him, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that, that you may live in the land of Goshen, a a territory there in Egypt, uninhabited, but a wonderful pasture area. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Once the Egyptians hear your shepherds, they're going to want you separated. You know what's a good thing? Joseph says, we need separation. We need to be in Egypt, but not of Egypt. There needs to be a, a geographical separation between God's people in Egypt. But there also needed to be a spiritual separation. As God's people living in this world, we are not to be of this world. We are to be distinct and live as sojourners and aliens, as First Peter reminds us. And again, this will, this will flesh itself out in this next chapter. 
But the bottom line is, as God's people, having received divine acceptance, Christians need to live like Christians and not like the culture around us. There needs to be something unique about you and dare I say, there needs to be something weird about the way you live your life in comparison to everybody else. That's evidence to you and it's evidence to the world that the gospel is true and that the gospel has changed you. Living in Egypt anticipates for them a 400-year period of slavery that is to come until that final redemption through Moses and they are brought out through the Exodus. Reminds us that while we're in this world, this world as it is now is not our home. One day God's going to call His people. He's going to call us up out of here and God's going to change this world. He's going to change all of creation. He will reconcile creation through His grace, through the work of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we are to live distinctly from those around us. It means you and I follow the only path to restoration with God. And that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Some of you all may not know this yet, but I was approached by Scobie Funeral Home last week and asked if I'd be willing to come and help out some. They said, you know, we need some more manpower around here and could use some part-time help, and you're in here a lot anyway. And uh, people sometimes have mistaken me for an employee there and said, you know, we think it'd be a good fit if you'd be interested. They said, it won't interfere with church or family. If, if we ask you to work and you can't work, just tell us I can't work, and that's fine. We'll ask somebody else. And I uh, thought about it and, and spoke to others about it, prayed about it, and thought, you know what, this would be a great ministry opportunity. You know, people in need... And this is a way to, to serve them. It's a way to, to, to bring grace in a time of need. And I thought, you know what? You know, could use a little extra money too. It won't hurt, right? So I agreed to do that. And last week I had the opportunity to, to work a funeral and, and then a visitation Friday night. And then yesterday in Lexington we had a funeral. And uh, while the service was going on there at the church, one of the guys asked me, he said, do you know how to get to the Lexington Cemetery? And I was like, well, yeah, I do. So, all right, great, you're going to drive the lead car. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I know how to get myself there, you know, but getting all these other people there, you know, in a funeral procession, I was a little concerned about that. But I'm like, you know, what are you going to do? So I said, all right, I'll do it. And he said, you know what, just follow the police car. We'll have a police escort. And I'm like, all right, great, that sounds good. So I was behind the police car. There were two other police cars there, and we pulled out on the alumni drive and turned left on the Tate's Creek. We came to that intersection, the cops stopped to stop the traffic. I'm like, all right, good, traffic stopped. I'll, I'll, I'll stay behind him. The thing was, he wasn't going to move. He was staying there to keep the traffic stopped. And then he kind of motioned for me to go around him. And I'm like, oh, snap, you know. Now I, I know where I'm going, but I was supposed to follow you. And all these people are counting on me. I felt kind of like Judah, I think, in this. I know the way, but there's 70, 69 people coming, you know. It's different. And so I was kind of flying blind there for a little bit, but the thing that happened, you know, the next police car came up and they would just kind of leapfrog one another. And the next one would go up and stop the next light. And we'd go through. But there were a couple times on the route that I was kind of flying blind, not sure if I was going the right way or not, and a little, a little worried about that. And then next thing you know, the, the, the cruiser would show up in front of me and, and I'd, I'd feel relieved. You know, in the end, we trusted the police officers they brought us home safely. They brought us to the cemetery safely, I should say. We arrived at our destination 
And this reminded me of following Christ. He is the way to that reunion, that blessed reunion with our Father. And there are times on this journey it might seem like we're on our own. It might seem like we're flying blind and we might be tempted to break off and, and try our own separate route. But we need to stay the course. And in due time, from, from season to season, we will see, we will, we, will, we will feel the leadership of Christ and we will know I'm on the right way. In our story today, Jacob had that assurance and he had that assistance led to that ultimate acceptance. The same is true for you and I if we are children of God. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ. His righteous life in your place. His substitutionary death on the cross in your place. His glorious resurrection in your place. You see, this reunion with God that you are so desperate for and we all need, it all hinges on one man. It all hinges on the work of one individual. You can't work yourself into heaven. You can't be good enough for that reunion with God. If you try that, you will be turned away. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's all about a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is your only hope. He is the only way. Our final point today, reunion rests on the righteousness Christ reunited and it feels so good the only way you will ever have that peace and that comfort is by surrendering yourself to Jesus the Son of God your Lord your Savior let's pray together Father we have entered your presence once again